0: GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. Don't get caught in the hype cycle. I'm Jay Bird, joined by my co-host, Kyle Reedhead, and we believe that blockchain audits might save the world. That's why we're carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3.
1: Guys, we got a great episode for you, but first, kudos to Jay. You can tell just listen to his voice; he sounds a little bit sick today, and that's because he is a little bit sick. But he's here, working hard as always, every single day to deliver the best content for all of you. So, thanks to Jay for for showing up, even though he's he's under the weather. I kind of like. But, I feel like my deep voice actually might. It sounds be better. Now, you, you sound like LG. Like yeah. you sound like, right now. <laughs> yeah. you sound like you a great podcast radio voice right now. But anyway, guys, great episode. I mean, L2s are the thing right now. They're hot. It's LT summer, on-chain summer, whatever you want to call it. But with base launching, uh, I mean, there's over like 50 plus L2s at the moment that have launched like recently. It's crazy out there. And we wanted to get an episode that just helps kind of frame what's going on, what this stuff is, why we need L2s, how they work, what the economics are. And, uh, and so, you know, this conversation, I think, does a good job of really covering all of that, you know, in a simple way. Obviously, who we have on, he's extremely smart and can talk as technical as you want to get, but we kept it very simple for a reason, right? We want to make sure that this is an episode that everyone can understand and wrap their head around. And and I think we did a pretty good job at that. What do you think, Jay?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jan brings an incredible knowledge. He's a doctor that has a computer science PhD from our nearby us, actually, University of Waterloo, fellow Canadian. Love to see it. And he is deep in all things Rollups, optimistic roll-ups, ZKs, you know, protocol design, how to make blockchain scale securely. And he does that from his position as the head of L2s at Quantstamp, which is one of the leading Web3 security companies that has secured over 200 billion digital assets for over 250 clients. You know, they've worked with Ethereum, they've worked Solana, Flow, Cardano, Avalanche, Binance, like They work with all of the leading blockchains out there. And he just really has that ability. While being very deep in his academic knowledge, he also is very good at bringing it back to basics, which really I think is what made this episode so great. The most interesting thing to me in this episode, Kai, was I'm still of this view that we're going to have a million L2s. And it was interesting to hear Jan say, he doesn't think we're gonna have a million L2s and he talks about why and how many he thinks he's gonna have we're gonna have.
1: Yeah, I was gonna go deeper into that and challenge that, but I was like, you know what? I want to hear more of his point of view on that. Yeah. And I think he had a shorter time frame too. But interesting see how that plays out. Maybe we'll have to come back to that and come back to him in, in five years and see who was who's right on that. But anyway, I think people enjoyed that. The other reason I really like this episode and the timing of it is we in and for pro members, and I know many of you guys listen here on the podcast. Last week, we put out a pro report on L2s and looking at you know who's going to win and who's currently winning in terms of activity. This coming week, we put one out on the economics, tokenomics, and value accrual of L2 tokens, which I think is extremely important because obviously these are a big deal in the space. And so we talk a lot about that in this episode. And so that's going to give you guys a good basic insight. Then the pro reports will sort of add to that and give you like the real numbers, looking on chain and, uh, and dive a little bit deeper. So Great little, you know, combination of education between the pro newsletter and, and the podcast here. Yeah, I, I gotta say, you know, I got some L2s in my
0: bags. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that it's a, a, an important part of your crypto portfolio is to have a percentage in L twos because I think we believe it is the future. And Jan talks about how we why we need L twos in order to scale. And if you're investing in L twos or if you don't have L2s in your bags and you want L twos in your bags, you got to go read these pro reports. One of them comes out tomorrow and the other one came out last week and they're going to either further your thesis on your L2 investments or give you the thesis that you need to make confident investments in some L2 tokens, which I think are an important part of your investment portfolio. Kai, let's jump in. Before we do, we just need to take a minute to hear from our sponsor. Modern newsletters are built on Paragraph. That's right, Paragraph is a brand new newsletter platform that combines the best parts of Web 2 and Web 3 to supercharge newsletters for both writers and readers. Build a community, not just an audience. Paragraph uses blockchain tech to allow readers to collect and own the words that matter to them. This takes reading a newsletter to the next level. With Paragraph, readers can mint, collect, and show off quotes from their favorite newsletters. This opens new possibilities, like creators sharing revenue with fans. I also love their new feature, Paragraph AI. This integrates GPT-4 natively in Paragraph, create, edit, and improve your writing effortlessly with one click. And guess what? We at Web3 Academy are on board and have already moved our content over to Paragraph. We believe this is the future of newsletters because of the profound engagement it creates between creators and fans. So whether you're a creator, writer, or an avid reader, it's time to check out Paragraph and capitalize on the opportunity of being early. Jan, welcome to Web3 Academy. So great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me here. So today we're jumping into everything L2s and L2 scaling. What's the future look like? Super excited to have somebody with your background and your experience in the show to really break this all down for us because we talk a lot about L2s on the show. And I think the, the question on everybody's mind is, we all talk about onboarding the next billion people to blockchain and crypto and what's going to be the next onboarding ramp. And we all get excited about, you know, Starbucks, Reddit, these big apps and, oh, it's going to take us to the moon. But I think the real question is, are we ready for a billion people? And what is required in order for us to be ready for that? Can you sort of give us an idea of like the current landscape and the way you see things in terms of what we are ready for and what blockchains offer
2: right now? Sure. I don't think we're ready. I'll, I'll start with that. I think we're <laughs> we're getting closer. The scaling solutions like Layer 2s are, are definitely incredibly helpful and they're necessary. I think I'll, I'll touch on that again in a second. But yeah, we're not ready because all of those apps you talked about, Starbucks or Reddit or whatever, pick your next favorite, you know, three things, 10 things they currently need need somewhere to go on, on the blockchain if you know we, we want to use them on the blockchain and and that means space like block space competing for that space is costly when we saw very old projects at crypto log logged the system a long time ago imagine that but with 10 popular apps not just one it won't work right it won't work unless we scale and so coming back to layer twos i mean that's where we're we can start to onboard these systems and, and through these systems, the people who want to use these systems because we open up the option for a ton of, of new block space. We can say we'll we'll take some some of these apps, we'll put them on some layer two, we'll roll them up and we'll batch them and, and we'll save everyone some space on the chain and, and save everyone a lot of money and enable, you know, these apps to actually function without worrying about other apps could you imagine the starbucks reward system going down because people were excited about a reddit post if people tried that on the main chain that might be you know the reality if if we wait for you know scaling solutions to hit mainstream it's less less far less likely to happen and these scaling solutions have started to appear and and they exist optimism is live and, and various ck protocols are also live that's step one but they're they're still new and so i think they still need to be attested a little bit more because they are new. But once that happens, then we can talk about onboarding You know, all the cool apps, all the cool features, and, and, on, and then all the people who want
0: to do things. The analogy that I like to use is if layer ones are the highway, then layer twos are the side streets that go off the highway. And if we build all these layer twos around the highway, then when you have heavy traffic on the highway, you can just shoot people off into all these side streets where you can manage traffic, right? What's happening right now is, and you can see it when gas is high, you feel it when there's a lot of action, transactions happening on the highway, it gets slow and it gets blocked. And just to paint a picture of how far I think we have to go, the best numbers I've seen to compare this to is Visa currently is able to do 24,000 transactions per second. Bitcoin can do seven transactions per section, and Ethereum can do 30. These numbers fluctuate, but you know, you think about how far away we are to being at the scale. Now, it doesn't mean we need to be at the scale of Visa right now. We're not there yet of having that much volume, that many users on chain, but if that's what we all dream about, if that's what we all talk about, about having having crypto be this global Currency and having it be this ability to transact instantly within seconds—well, we've certainly got a scaling issue. How do you how do you see it? Can you sort of maybe paint a picture of how how
2: big of a problem is this and where yeah, I mean we are right now. It like I said, it it is it is the problem, right? Competing for that space it is why you know you have so few transactions per second and. And the analogy is is I think pretty good of you know trying to direct traffic to different places. And that's what these chains allow us to do. And, and in turn, that means you can put a lot more roads or cars on the road, which is sort of in the analogy, more transactions per second, right? The better your your network, literally your network of roads, the better your network of, of cars and therefore data. The the situation of like the actual numbers of transactions, like it's it is ridiculous that that, you know, Ethereum's gotten so popular despite doing thirty transactions. Sort of Because like, you almost wouldn't believe it. You know, if someone's yeah. like spent billions of dollars investing into this ecosystem to build a system that can do 30 transactions per second, someone would be like, well, why? Why would you do that? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so it's sort of amazing that we've gotten this far. But the next step will be figuring out actually those 30 transactions per second can be scaled up, you know, to order of magnitudes much, much higher through these these various solutions, which you know maybe side side sort of network as of roads in your analogy, or more accurately, you know, the scaling solutions we're, we're talking about. But when that happens, it's going to be a total game changer because, you know, all the pipe dreams of why you would have told someone you wanted to spend all this money on building such a network is to do things like pay for a coffee. You know, some people may not agree that you money or whatever ether, but a lot of people want to use blockchains in their day-to-day, whatever that means, whether that's a coffee, a pizza, a car, a house, something, or games or, or whatever your applications are. Like. You can't do that until until you start having, you know, more transactions per second. Because if you imagine just your, your favorite metropolis trying, you know, everyone reasonably switching from Visa to to a blockchain, it, it's not going to work, right? The system's not, not going to work at all. And so these scaling solutions are are, are are necessary and, you know, incredibly helpful. But the trick is to do them securely because the other part, you know, the biggest part of why you spend all this time and, and energy building this blockchain eco- ecosystem when in fact, you know, Visa can do 24,000 transactions per second is because you don't want to trust anyone. And so when you when you take that trust away from it, you need to make sure that you still have layers of security still built into the protocol so that everything works. And I think this is, you know, the biggest challenge going forward for a whole bunch of layer twos because you know, you're going to see probably, you know, some, some issues with some of them. In the past, you know, I've looked at a lot of bridge hacks. You know, two billion dollars lost in the last year or two years in in value. And depending on who you ask, you know rollups are just fancy bridges. Some people might disagree with that that explicit statement, but certainly, there is a bridge usually associated with you know, a roll-up. And to think that there won't be issues with a rollup going forward, I think is is naive. So while you know, I'm excited to say, you know, orders of magnitude more transactions by just using a roll up, you know, fork the OPSAC and, and build one now if you want. If you don't do that securely, and you know, God forbid OP SAC didn't do it securely, which, you know, I haven't taken a look at their code closely, you know, it's very important to make sure that that doesn't go down, doesn't get hacked, doesn't, you know, don't have funds. And you're looking at more than just that number. Because it's very easy to to reduce the the argument to like, oh let's just build a system with many transactions. If we want to do that, we'd be not I already said that. So this this ability to keep trustlessness is paramount and I think that's also why those roads are so slow to be being built right obviously some of them are built the OBStack exists and, and and several others I'm only mentioning OBStack a lot because they're sort of they've been around for, for quite some time it's sort of a main net but there are others but you you have to build these roads in such a way that that everyone can be very sure that when they drive onto them you know their, their their car, to use this analogy, is, is safe. It doesn't get derailed or worse, it doesn't get hijacked. So, you know, building them slowly is probably fine. I, I think you probably don't want to go as slow as, as sort of Ethereum itself is, because there is generally less value locked up, and and there is no reason to sort of, you know, not learn some of the lessons that that Ethereum is already teaching you. But you can't just go out there and and toss a bunch of money, you know, at, at metaphorical contractors to just build a road network. You need to do it in a very, very careful way. And only then will you have a number that is, you know, comparable to Visa, or even, you know, a tenth of visa, let's say that would be a good starting point. That you're you're proud of and that you're they're happy to use and that, you know, people in the ecosystem want to use. Because again, a lot of the people in the ecosystem don't need to worry about, you know, the the sort of banking the unbanked parts of the ecosystem, which which are a good parts, I think. But a lot of them already have bank accounts, and if they really just wanted transactions, they could they could use their bank. And if we're trying to lure them off of that as their sort of, you know, day-to-day system, we we need to have not just the number, but also, you know, the added value of trustlessness and deal for 10.
1: Well, one of the interesting things is when you think of all the hacks that have happened in Web3 in the last however many years... I don't think any of them have happened on L2s and L2 bridges, as far as I know. And and I don't mean, I'm sure applications on L2s have been hacked. Yeah. But I mean the L2s themselves. I mean, I think of like Ronin, which had a $600 million hack and Wormhole, Mm -hmm. but that's to layer one. So there's been a ton from
2: layer one to layer one, but I don't think there's any from layer twos, which is odd. And I don't know why. But I'm not aware of any layer two to layer two hacks per se. There there was sort of an issue where the OBM and optimism. I think it changed the way they had treated tokens on their network. And so there was a potentially big issue, but right. it, it didn't know it was all cracked? This was a, a big deal. But the actual bridges between them have been you know, remarkably robust. It's almost unbelievable how many rollups we have currently <laughs> and, <laughs> and the fact that none of them have been, you know, majorly attacked in this way. You're right. There has been some applications on these chains that have, have perhaps dropped the ball or perhaps have been you know, put onto a system where they weren't designed to work, and so they had some hiccups and, and issues. So there was, like, a crowdfunding issue where they deployed on L2, and, and one of the, the opcodes had changed the gas costs, so they, they couldn't get their funds out. Eventually, it was fixed, but, you know, nothing with the actual bridge themselves, and that's that's kind of great, but I, I think it's going to change. Like, I'm not going to hang for it. I was going to say, I really hope we're not this thing <laughs> existence right now.
1: Like... We're going to look, look look forward you know, a month from now and we're like, oh shit, why did we From that? my understanding, the the bridge from an L2, like from L1, so Ethereum to an L2 is very different than a bridge from an L1 to an L1. Because it's in the same ecosystem, there's like, I, and I don't understand it all, but from my understanding is that there's it's using cryptography, whereas L1 to L1, there's some a lot of centralized components to it. And so it makes it much easier
2: to hack versus L1 to L2. I don't know if you were aware of that or- if, is there anything you can comment I mean, that? so I mean, there, there's, there's a couple things I could say about that. First, you said you know their L1 style ones are perhaps more centralized. In fact, I don't know if that's true. I think a lot of L1s are are more decentralized. Most, I, I can't think of any current rollups that are like claiming to be decentralized, right? I mean, the a lot big of them are, big are big sort big. Like, but yeah. most of the sequencers are, are single entity sequencers who live on some server somewhere, and you know maybe there's backup copies of them, but they're not fully decentralized. There's projects. That, that want to do that, uh, all of them really want to do that. There are some that like are taking concrete steps to actually do that, but centralization is is currently the norm in, in in these systems, and and that's for very good reason. It's it's that security is very very difficult, right? I, I spent a lot of time thinking about future completeness of rollups and and things like getting your funds out if your sequencer goes down, like escape hatches and and that type of thing, and and some of them have started to implement this functionality. Some have left it beyond. But a lot of them are also just sidestepping it to go into decentralization and and, and these other areas. And what that means is partly, you know, these bridges, sorry, to take it back to the the question of, you know, is L1 to L1 bridges different than than L1 to L2? Sometimes, yes. So some of those added features that may or may not be present are really cool and they're going to add some attack vectors, which is why some people are not developing. it. So this escape hatch functionality, for example, is meant to help you, get funds out if the secure, if the sequencer goes down. But naturally that means there's another way to get funds out of some code. So if you implement that wrong, it's a really big, right? So some projects don't want to go near this because it introduces a greater attack vector surface, which is counter to the idea of the feature itself, right? The feature is supposed to make the whole system more secure. So the, the bridges themselves should arguably be more complex. Than L1 to L100 because it's it's worse than just locking up tokens somewhere and unlocking them or minting them somewhere because you have these uh, this tight coupling with the extra features right you you said there you know that there could be relayers for example I think you said that from L1 to L1 bridges it's often the case I think it's necessary part but you could sort of think of the sequencer as being the relayer to the the chain itself on the L2 so that that still exists all that functionality you know in some abstract sense is still there. The, the specifics will change bridge to bridge or roll up to roll-up. But because of the tight coupling, you would I would expect that actually roll ups are gonna be, you know, more complicated bridges, not not less complicated. Or they're gonna be, you know, having tight, tighter coupling, not, not necessarily being tightly coupled. But they, they are gonna have these, these bridges that are more more prone to, to bigger issues. And, you know, there's a lot of extra work to get. Get them to where they are, and I think part of the safety is right now the the centralization because you know that does keep all of the the system sort of operating. If there's an issue, someone can a pause button. It, ten years from now, that's probably not what we want. You know, ten minutes from now, that's that's a feature that I really want to have in a system because something does go wrong. I can, and in somewhere in between, we have to make that distinction very different. And I think the reason no one's rushing to do that is because we saw these L one L one bridges get hacked. Say, oh, we took off the pause button. Look what happened, right? All those bugs that, that cropped up immediately hurt us. And it's arguably less of a concern for, for those decentral, or these, that decentralized L1 to L1 bridges because if sort of like one relayer goes down in a decentralized ecosystem, in principle, there's another, another one. But if you're running a centralized sequencer and <laughs> your only sequencer gets screwed, you know, your reputation is gone. And so you've lost a lot more. Right at best, it's your reputation loss, right? Where it's a hiccup and something comes back. At worst, the whole funds are compromised, and you're no longer collateralized, and it's it's a problem.
0: It is interesting to discuss the centralization versus decentralization of L2s. We actually this show when people are listening to this this last week, we had a pro report come out on L2 activity, and we didn't really talk about this, but we did acknowledge that. Most L2s are not decentralized yet. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I think this is the point that you're making, right? That is okay. That is a a necessary step in the progress to getting towards decentralization, which we believe that the L2s are will do and are making plans to do that. But I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. I mean, maybe we will later in the show. But okay. Here's what I want to I wanna sort of frame the this next phase of the conversation. I want to talk about how we achieve this scalability and why L2s are the answer. What does that look like? I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions here, Jan, so don't feel like you have to answer them all at once, but I just kind of want to frame this for where we're going to go for the listener. What does that look like in terms of how many L2s are we going to have? You know, How are they all going to work together? How will this all function if we have you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of L2s, curious to know how many you think we'll have, how it all work together. And then we might get into, we'll go into some further conversation from there around economics, business models of L2s as well. But let's start, how do we achieve this scalability? Why are L2s the answer?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to the initial point of a block space and, and needing to put your apps and, you know, transactions somewhere on a blockchain. So why are they necessary? I think that that's, you cannot possibly expect you know the the scale of the internet to currently be compressed down into a current Ethereum block, however big that lock sort of exists, right? In a reasonable sense. I guess if you could make it arbitrary, you can do it. But you know, in the practical sense, there is a limit to how big a block is and therefore how much you can do. And so by opening up various L2s, you know, we can start actually, you know, not really partitioning parts of the network, but certainly that's what will end up happening. And so I don't want to use the word sharding or, or these other technical terms, but you'll have some apps on some networks doing some things, and you'll have other apps on different networks doing different things. And as a result, you can just support more apps. And that's the way to get that effective number of transactions per second up too. right? It's it's a way to say, well, I'm not just doing empty transactions or empty blocks. I'm actually, you know, running something. I'm doing something someone cares about. I think, so I think the, the first... You know, the, the short answer there is 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 just space and and sort of where to put transactions because right now there's not enough space for that. So and and just quick question on how much more space do we need? Do we uh, need 10 oh, I mean, times the current block space we have? Like <laughs> any idea? You know I'm sure there there is a good number. I'm sure I've heard the good number. It's a lot, right? If you I, I don't know how big a current block is on Ethereum. It's you know maybe a handful of megabytes. I feel like with the dank sharding stuff, it's going to add like two megs. So, somewhere probably around that. But, you know, how many, how much bandwidth do you, do you expect sort of to run through your local network, let alone the network like of a city or the world, right? It's it's much, much bigger than two megs per, do you know, what, what's an epoch? 12 seconds. Like, and an epoch might be multiple blocks. It's going to be, you need a lot of space. Or is the I magnitude bigger? Right? Or significant. Yeah. Many orders, at least probably <laughs> probably a lot more. I'm being conservative because I I don't want to say anything or someone will be tweeting at me.
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah a lot, a lot. I'll, I'll be vague.
1: Just to put it in perspective, a lot more than even what Visa is doing, right? Like Visa at 24,000 transactions per second is still small compared to what how everything's going to go on chain, yeah. right? Yeah, I
2: mean- a, So like light years, like so much more. Yeah, yeah. My my ideal world is is paying, I mean, maybe not my ideal- but one, one nice world would be, you know, paying for Visa or paying for coffees with my blockchain and also going home to play video games on and, and living up on time with that. And so, you know, you, you have to consider all of the World Wide Web and then, you know, the populations only go up. And if we're trying to bank the unbank and make this more accessible to people and people want to be verifying things, doing stuff like the number of transactions, I think. Okay, but before you go
1: farther down the L2 rabbit hole, just a quick question. What about something like Solana, which is trying to do it all in a monolithic type of chain? Do you have, I mean, obviously this is what you research, this is what you've done. Like, is that possible? Or do you think that they're going
2: down a road that's just not going to work? So possible is tricky. I don't, I don't know if that's strictly possible. I, I will say it's it sounds harder, if only because you need greater consensus and not in the technical sense of like, what is consensus like for the blocks? But like consensus of what should this blockchain do, right? Like if you wanted to scale Solana or Ethereum up to, to to handle all the world's transactions by itself, you're probably going to have to have some limitations. There's going to be some technical barriers into what what can happen. And I will like one set of features, and you will like another set of features. And if those are not mutually compatible, you know you're going to have a hard time developing that system in the way that you want. Let alone getting blocks to be confirmed, to transactions. With a less monolithic approach like these scaling solutions, you can say, oh, I want these features over here. Mm -hmm. And I can say, I want a different set of features. And we'll just, we'll use, you know, the layer one as our ground source of truth for the things that matter to both of us, like our USDC balance. And otherwise, if you want to go over there in your world and do something different, super cool, right? Like there's, there's a lot of talk about EVM compatibility, which is you know, should your L2 be able to run exactly the same smart contracts in exactly the same way as Ethereum? does? And a lot of people are touting it as the holy grail because that just means all of the, like Ethereum itself can just scale up, which is true and, and very nice. But there's other things you could do. You could have a different VM. Your VM could handle different inputs. It could handle different cryptogra- cryptographic primitives. It could be a gaming VM. It could be doing something else. and And that's totally fine. But if you were trying to do that in Solana, like, are you going to embed a gaming VM into your Solana VM? I don't know. I don't know that like a large portion of the world would think that's valuable, right? But if you just say, I'm going to put on my own rollup and you can bridge your assets if you want to play the game and otherwise stay away, that seems way easier to me to develop. And so, you know, that's easier in the sense of consensus, but I, I like a development. But it's also probably easier from a technical standpoint because, you know, your gaming VM might be very small and niche. And so you don't need to worry about you know, how does it integrate with the rest of so long? You just know, I, I know how it's going to work on my l smart contract. Right.
1: Interesting. So on the scalability side of things, I was looking at, so as we were writing this pro report this past week on layer twos, I was looking at L2 beats and there's, I don't know how many L2s there are right now that are live, let's say probably like maybe 50 or so on L2 beat, there's like 37, I think it is. But the number that it gave was that L2s currently are scaling Ethereum to a factor of five X, right? So, we went from 30 transactions per second to whatever that is, 150 or whatever. So not much more compared to what we need. Now, I know most L2s currently are not like at full capacity, right? I think that they can scale more and there's more things they can do, especially with the upgrade coming at end of this year, or early next year. But so we're currently sitting at, let's say 50, and that's only getting us a 5X. So does that mean that we're gonna have millions of layer twos probably to get to where we need? Thousands, like
2: how do you think that that works? So yeah. how many L2s. So I think there's going to be lots. I don't know if the answer to, to, to your most recent question there is, are we going to have millions? Millions sounds like a lot. Millions sounds like liquidity is going to be a real issue. Millions also sounds like, you know, if if you actually have millions, like, that sounds like our ecosystem did very well for itself, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's really difficult to, to set up a functional rollup and have people want to use it. And, like, you know, it. so millions sounds like, oh boy, we're good. Probably, you know, it'll be closer to, you know, in the coming years or 200s, maybe. Like more than 500 sounds like a lot to me. More than, than 50 sounds obvious because I don't think we're done seeing everyone. And there's enough technical challenges that you probably won't be able to get it down to sort of a one click like deploy new smart or deploy new role. Some projects are definitely working on these, these types of things to simplify that. But there's also just sort of maybe not a need right not every app will need its own rollup so doing this extra work won't make sense at all because some apps can just live on another rollup it doesn't you don't need to do it so i think i think the answer to how many is, is you know probably 100 to 200 ish you know in in 3 to 5 years i don't know it more sounds really really upsetting to me too because then you know you're going to be walking down the road and be like oh are denver is saying hey what you know, what chain are you on? Like, oh, I'm on this chain that I've never heard of. Oh, well, then we're not really, you know, in the same world. You, you have different liquidity for one, but possibly different rules of what you can compute, what you can do, you know, and, and maybe to send you money now, I have to bridge three times, right? If there's no direct path, it's going to be a real complicated thing. Or you're going to need a power set of like of, of all possible, you know, chain sending things, or you, you take some liquidity from some set of chains and send it to some other set. And that sounds like a mess. So, you know, more than than even 100 is going to be really rough, but if you say we're already at 50, which which I believe I, I've been on LTB too, you know, some of them will bubble up and do really well. Some of them will probably not okay. do well for for either social reasons or technical reasons, or it'll be bad luck, right? That there's a lot of this, so I think we'll see you know three or four times that come up, which I, I don't think is that unreasonable. So 50 to 150, that that seems pretty plausible. Once we start getting past that, I think people should really start to realize, you know, should some of these be L3s or L4s, right? Chains on chains, because then the settlement gets a lot easier and it's less about scaling and more about the application specific needs, which is, you know, at the end of the day, what we're trying to hit is scaling for applications. Well, Jay, I don't know about you, but
1: I kind of want to pull on that one a little bit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I figured it with your face there. Talk to us about L3s and L fours, what do you mean? And like help the listeners understand what you're what you're saying. It's just a roll-up
2: on top of a roll-up, I, I assume. I mean, yeah, I think that's the most naive interpretation. I don't know if I have a more subtle one. I think there might be some very subtle horror cases of liquidity or things like this. But essentially it is just a roll-up on a roll up. And so now now you can imagine this recursive landscape of scaling. And and so, you know, when you say we have a five time improvement on, on transactions per second with just one extra layer right now this compounds because for each one of those roll-ups you can also scale that one five times and so this mm. sort of function of, of speed up grows rapidly assuming everything works out i don't and i haven't really misinterpreted but certainly for a lot of layer threes i think that the, the hype is is for application specific so a lot of layer threes won't sort of give birth to a layer four they won't need that because the layer three just wants you know a nice place where its underlying layer is fast, namely a layer two, and to perform its own computation fast, not necessarily to to build another blockchain. And so the layer threes will probably be a stopping point for, for I think, a lot of applications. Maybe I'm very short-sighted on that. I don't assume all of them will stop there, but I think a lot of them, you know, that that will be the sufficient place to to stop. And essentially yeah, it will be just, you know, running your computations you know, in your own little roll-up world and then settling on the underlying l2 in this case and you know that works really 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 well if you don't need to talk to like another you know l2 or another you know a layer three that's not on the same l2 right mm. because you just get all the benefits for for very little sort of downside and unless i have misunderstood something
1: Right. As long as liquidity doesn't need to move from your L3 to yeah. another L3 or to a different L2, then like that makes complete sense. The moment that li- the liquidity, or I'm not even sure what else would need to move, but something else, that's where things get a bit tricky, which yeah. maybe we can sort of just touch on that. Because even now we're talking, okay, there's going to be hundreds of layer twos, a bunch of layer threes. Uh, people right now listening are like, okay, I already hate bridging from my layer one to my layer two. And then from layer two over to others, like base launch, everyone's like, shit, I got to bridge again. Then Zora network launch, everyone's like, shit, I got to bridge again. It's like, every time I do this, it's like, I'm losing money because my ETH is now stuck over there in a small amount. It's like, this is crazy. My assumption is, and I don't know if there's already people building this, maybe you're aware, but is there not tools or the way that I picked this Anyways, that there's going to be some sort of liquidity that's like shared amongst them all. Instead of having to always bridge from one way to another, it got to seem that it gets abstracted away at some point And I just start using whatever. And the, the
2: liquidity just moves automatically is my hope, but maybe not. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have really, really good answers for you here. This is this is one area where I think it is very interesting and challenging because the easiest answer is just put the liquidity where you want it the most. And, you know, maybe now it's not clear where you want it the most. In particular, they're, you know, maybe there are drops you want to hunt. But, you know, in, the, in five years, there's a good chance you will know where you want to live on this ecosystem. And it may not, first of all, liquidity may be better. But even if it's not better, right, you might know that like one or two chains are where the apps you care about are living. And so it becomes less of a problem that way. To to sort of go back to the actual question of what happens if we try to split this liquidity across many chains, because maybe you do actually, maybe you're a multitasker and you love living in a hundred different chains, uh, (laughs) which sounds like a nightmare for you. Sounds like nobody. I want to meet that person. (laughs) Well, but no, but
1: just to say one thing is like if we're doing so many different things on chain like you said if you're playing a game it's going to be on this one if I'm on Reddit it's going to be over here if I'm doing my DeFi stuff or my banking it's probably going to be not on either of those two ones like I do actually think we'll use a lot of chains in the future not because we want to but just because applications like you said will be using their own customized chains so like I think this is going to be a big problem for
2: a lot of people even though we don't necessarily want that yeah so I mean I think part of the solution will come with sort of application-specific needs, right? So, like, if if your sort of situation there is your banking is on, like, one, one roll-up and your gaming's on another one, that that might be totally sort of fine. Other than the occasional top-up to sort of pay for some transaction fees, you know, your your in-game items that you earn as NFTs on that gaming chain may never really need to talk to your bank. Mm-hmm, right? Right. Like, right. obviously, if you want to oh, sell yeah. the value. But if we sort of get to a point where maybe there's no hype in NFTs, maybe, yeah, that... If we get to a point, you know, where, where you know it, it's not about getting NFTs to sell NFTs, but they have some other utility in in the game, then then that liquidity isn't so important on on that chain for you because you're sort of you're not incentivized to sell them in any. Way. I suspect that'll never happen, and I suspect you know there's there's always going to be some selling, right? If you look at Counter Strike skins, there's, there's always selling, but well, and there the, will be some natural separations of liquidity is what I'm trying to say. Not not everywhere, and so the core function of like you know, your your native currency like Ether funding all of these systems and solving that from like keeping that from, from segmenting too much and, and fragmenting is, is going to be a real challenge. And I, I don't know how to overcome that. You asked if there's some projects to do that. I'm sure there is. I'm, I, I don't am i know that they're doing better than just sort of taking on the added risk of, of, of you saying you're going to keep your funds over there and I'll spot you what it is right now. And, right. If something goes wrong, we'll get burned. But, you know, as a result, you're going to pay me half a percent. So I I don't know if you can do better. I, I I've been to some hackathons or some people claim they they have some really good ideas, but I haven't seen any of these projects. And I guess just to compare it to
1: like the traditional world as well, like outside of blockchain is our liquidity is often segmented anyway. Like I have money in my bank account and then I have like a Wise account, and to get them back and forth is not the easiest thing to get my money to someone else's account, especially if they're in a different country, it's just a pain, especially if these are different currency. Like, so we already are very segmented in how our, our value is on the internet, regardless. So, I
2: mean, hopefully overall Web3 makes that easier. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we should aim for that. But well, I I we can't do much better in the technical sense. At least we we Can probably run away with the regulatory issues. Like, I'm not saying to do things illegally. I'm, I'm saying, like, you know, it is very easy to... To send money between transactions, even if it or between chains. It might be slower, right. you, you have to go through three different bridges, but that's all it is. It's not like me sending money to to another country where right. less there are like, you know, banks I need to talk to and they need to talk to government agencies or things like this. Right. What about a
0: chain links cross chain interoperability protocol? Is that a solution that you see enabling us to speak? within
2: chains? Are you are you familiar with it? And I'm not super familiar with it. I have seen seen some stuff about it, but I, I don't know that I can comment here on a way that, that's really really meaningful. I'll, I'll try to turn turn it to a, a different approach that I'm seeing, which isn't exact isn't at all what you're talking about. But I think like circle, circle with the USDC, what they're trying to do is now instead of sort of having this default behavior of burn and mint, right? Usually when you bridge something, you, you burn something and you mint a representation on the other the destination here they just want to natively like just spawn it at the other place right so you can sort of purchase native real sort of real in air quotes there usdc on your target chain without ever worrying about sort of bridging it. you're sort of buying it i guess from from you from circle or or whoever's operating it but i think that's that's another way that we can start thinking about this because obviously for usdc that that's really valuable you, you save the bridging gas fees at, at time, right? You can just say, oh, I have a new version. It complicates the L2B analysis of TBL, I think. At some point, and there are some concerns about that, but you know, I think it's actually a pretty good idea. There will be other apps where you can do that. You'll have a front end, and you can say, I'll, I'll just by default natively spawn you know my liquidity into a fragmentation that I, I care about, right? So if you earn some interest, you can just say, here's the real version on chain A, and also here's a real version on chain B that matters. And that type of at least setting up the liquidity in the right place at the right time might go some distance for mitigating these concerns about liquidity fragmentation down the road, because it'll already sort of exist in the right
0: Okay. I want, I want to shift gears to the economics and business models mm-hmm. of L2s. Can you sort of explain how profit and value flows within
2: L2s and l one? I mean I can try. So I'm very technical and I'm not an economist, so I, you know, take all this with a grain of salt. But for now the the main motivator seems to be sequencer fees. If you look at various people on crypto Twitter, I don't have their names unfortunately. Occasionally there's an analytics come out that says like, Oh, Project X earned Y ether this year or or month or whatever. And those are non trivial amounts of, of money. Are they enough to keep the staffing covered for, for the projects that are running them? I'm not sure. I haven't run that math. But sequencers currently, you know, make a lot of money. They did by taking a little bit of the transaction fee, they're, they're getting tons. I think I think I saw somewhere that one project made six hundred ETH in a month for for sequencer fees. So that's like one point two million in a month if it's two K in ETH, which I don't think it is, but you know, like in that ballpark. That's not bad. That that doesn't talk about the tokens or, or you know how value flows back to the end user per se, but it does sort of also indicate why there's 50 of these systems. So it's not just like people want to do the the, the pure thing of like for the scale of, of or for the sake of scaling Ethereum, right? A lot of them are profit driven, and there's money to be made, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with you know spinning up projects that help the ecosystem and making a little bit of money out off of it. Because if you're still saving the user you know, 95% of their, their fees, they're happy. You're getting a little bit, you're happy. And then you just have to be careful that someone doesn't come along and do it better than you, cheaper than you.
1: Well, in, for context, for listeners, Base has made $2.8, $2.8 million in revenue since launching already. Now that's not profit. Their profit is about 2 million. Now again, not profit and counting like employees and all that kind of stuff, but just in terms of the revenue of the sequencer itself, then the expenses it pays back to Ethereum to settle the transaction, that's pretty impressive. And I mean, Optimism and Arbitrum are something like I have it up here on on our Dune. I think it's like sixty million dollars in. I can't remember if that's in profit or total revenue. I think that's total revenue since they
2: launched. Yeah, total
1: revenue. So
2: quite impressive. Yeah, and not like I would. That sounds like a great you know sort of business model because you're also helping people. I think the question, though, that that was also asked that I hadn't yet got to was, you know, how does value flow? And like, does that mean I'm entitled to something if I help optimism <laughs> or if I, if I use optimism even? And I think that's where it'll come, it'll get really, really interesting. I think that's where you'll start to see the number sort of maybe shrink back down in the number of rollups. I think we'll see a boom because everyone will see these numbers. If you listen to the podcast, you're hearing these numbers and you're saying, that sounds pretty good. But if you think in the future, People won't be super happy about that. I mean, they'll they'll be happy enough. They'll continue to use them, but they'll want to do the Web three thing and say, "Hey, where where's my share? Can I get something back from this?" and mm-hmm. and that'll be, I think, the challenging part. And the part that I, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure what the the total business model will, will will evolve into. But as soon as we can start seeing things like you know, decentralized sequencers, maybe you earn those fees if you run the sequencer for those blocks or, or some setup, blocks, right, some some epoch. And then, you know, is it possible you got, the ecosystem is competing now for this this $2 million that, that BASE got on the BASE chain itself? That will make things really interesting. And, you know, then you'll have to start asking questions of, of who gets to do that because if it's just anyone, then, then maybe there are some latency issues that come into play. Or there's some some things like staking or you know privileges that that are related to tokens or other ecosystem primitives that that might exist so we have you been a contributor or something like this or are you a trusted partner i mean i think once we get to that level of decentralization you can start to ask these questions of how does the the value flow back because you know some companies again going back to optimism optimism launched token they do retro grants and and so you know some value does come back to people in the ecosystem, right? Contributors, people who build, which is, I think, a, a really good idea. But I think a lot of people will not want to necessarily build, but they'll have hardware lying around, and they'll want to possibly be sequences or decentralized proof markets in, in zero knowledge proof systems. We haven't really talked about it too much. I think that's that's going to be quite big. It might might not be as big as a new sort of Bitcoin era level of, of mining, but it is going to be a lot of hardware that, you know will be dedicated to just generating proofs. And so I'm, I'm sort of hoping it's not not a whole new era of just server farms off in the countryside, but there is gonna be some level of, of this where people need to generate proofs. And that's one way to, to get value back from the system. You say, well, now, you know, those fees, the sequencer is collecting is actually going to offset some of these these investments by people who want to generate these proofs. And, you know, there may also be things like MEV, so maximal extractable value or minor extractable value, where you, you know, you say the sequencer will intentionally try to profit and and then will we'll distribute that back to people, or it will intentionally sort of not try to do that in order to sort of secure the network against something, and and, and maybe there's some stake involved in that. and And these are all ideas that have been discussed on, you know, various places. But beyond that, I think the biggest blocker for value coming back, like so, the business model I think I think is for now short term, just like sequencer fees. I could be wrong. I don't work at a at a, at a L-tube, so I, I I don't know what the in and out of, of a book looks like there for their accountants. But for now, it seems like sequencer fees are are enough to make it very interesting and very you know exciting. And you could use that that those funds to then think about all these other solutions and other ways to generate other more revenue through some of these additional features like arbitrary bpe or something else or you know just create a better more efficient system because if you can track costs down that's also you know possibly profit so that will be particularly concerning probably for zero knowledge systems where the hardware and the prover times might be a lot longer or more expensive for optimistic ones probably you know there's going to be a wall where people don't see increased advantage of optimizing too too much you know, some things still have to come into play, like further like, dang charting. where the, the cost of posting data will, will get cheaper and things like this. But yeah, so, so, so to answer the question, the short term, I think, is sequence repeats. And I'm not sure if there's, there's much else going on. I'm sure there's some partnerships and all that. Longer term, I think it'll be the, you know, the the sort of Web3 crypto economic thing. No. How do we we get a nice cycle of value going, right? And, and partly, I can't give you a good answer to this because I, I don't know what that'll look like in, in the prover market that's a little bit clear but it sort of seems too easy I sort of suspect you know a lot of people will have prover but what I want to see is the really cool DeFi stuff where it's integrated in where if you bridge something you get some special features on the network and, and you know some some APY or something else entirely like on the one hand DeFi is great on the other hand you know I'm sure we can do do a lot better especially when hardware and, and pieces of software like distributed pieces of software that aren't necessarily smart contracts are involved so things like rewarding oracles, you know, do you have an L2 that that talks to the outside world, like you know the traditional web? Can you incentivize people to to deal with that based on on tokens? And is there some way that that you can profit off I'm not sure, but I have to imagine. You know, there's a lot of really smart game theorists in this field, and and they're going to figure out some really cool, you know, forks of, of layer twos that do exactly something that you're used to, plus this extra feature where if you if you're an honest actor or you do something right, you're going to get a lot of money. We haven't talked about fraud proofs. That could also be another way. But you know, assuming honest actors, it's probably not going to be super. super. Yeah, in terms of accruing value of the token holders, I mean, there, I think
1: for L2s, there's not a lot of that currently. There's potential of that. Kind of like Uniswap token, there's potential that you'll get fees and accrue value. But right now it's, it's just a governance token. L2s are basically the same, except for IMX, the immutables token. I believe you can stake your IMX and if you do that, there's a certain percent of the fees that happen on their chain that go to IMX holders. Now, when you stake, it doesn't do anything. It's not like staking for Ethereum where you're actually securing the network. When you stake for IMX, it's just a gimmick to, I think, try to get people to not sell their IMX tokens and then earn a little bit. So that makes number go up ideally. And so I think like hopefully there's more mechanisms that will make it, like you said, more like crypto incentives that are kind of more cyclical in nature. Like Ethereum, for example, when you hold ETH the token. You value accrues there because every transaction ETH is burnt, which means that it makes it deflationary. So you hold that token, you have a benefit in that. Or if you stake it, you're securing the network and then you get whatever 6% APY for which comes from transaction fees. So great. That makes sense. L2s, they don't have any of that yet for the most part, except for IMX. So we'll see. I like the idea of using the tokens to potentially decentralize sequencers or other things. I, mean, I can definitely see that coming in. in first. Right now, I think most tokens are just
2: Governance, as far as I know. And then IMX, I know, is like you can get yield. Yeah, as far as I know, most are are governance. And I mean, that point of like securing the network, That, like again, one of those sort of low-hanging fruit, right? You you stake stake some tokens, and now you have the right to run a sequence. Right, and Mm -hmm. if you you drop the ball, you get fraud-proofed or something. Or as anyone else proof, and the proof doesn't verify. You can lose the stake. But otherwise, you earn some percent. It seems like an easy idea. I suspect there is going to be way, way more and cool stuff but i i don't want to rush there for now you know i i think i've already been pretty clear that i'm pessimistic that you know that there's going to be a, an issue with a roll up at some point in the future let's make sure the tech is sound before we start adding bells and whistles and and all this cool stuff because that's really cool really nice you know i want to make money and i i would love to to do some of these crazy things to get some little, but I, I think if we can onboard more users into the ecosystem by enabling better apps to more block space, these rollups themselves, that's going to be you know more important in the long term. Because in fact, if you go the opposite way and something goes wrong, the media doesn't pick up the wind, right? The, the, Big, the news. Big news outlets won't be like, oh, there's a new blockchain that's really cool. That's a really cool feature. They pick up the ones where it's like $600 million lost. You're like, oh, that, that scares the average user. And these bells and whistles are going to scare people if if something goes wrong. So let's get the core tech down, and then figure out the really cool cre- crypto economics at the end. Unless there's a reason that they have to go hand in hand, right? Like Ethereum, they'll probably needed. I don't think you could do well. But even Ethereum, it took
1: however many years for it to go proof of stake and to allow you to stake, and then to have the staking as a service tools like Rocket Pool and Lido, mm-hmm. uh, and to have the eth burn. Like this all came in like Ethereum's seventh year of existence, kind of thing. Whereas L2s are like, I don't know, I think the first one's launched in like September 2021. They're still babies. So I think that's very smart. We need to slow down the people try to make money on these things and like, let's just make them work first. Yeah. Let the teams make the money so they can keep building the tech and make it better. And then, okay, eventually we can distribute to the community, but like community doesn't need anything right now. You know, go use them. And like, let's make them work properly first.
2: Sure. Yeah. All right.
0: It's funny you bring up the risks of moving too fast or of trying to do something that is fun and exciting but might not be secure now unfortunately I wish everybody took that wisdom Jan (laughs) I want to clip that and hit it on repeat for everybody on crypto Twitter but let's be real that's not the way a lot of people play it and I know that something that you guys do at Quantstamp is you provide smart contract audits. And we talked about on the show a few weeks ago, how Jack Butcher, who is the artist behind OP Pen, which is one of the most popular NFT collections that's actually made it through at the bear market. He launched Infinity Checks, which was his new collection that was low cost, meant to onboard, you know millions ideally into the space because it was you know generative art that's fun you can engage with it doesn't cost you much and boom within a week the wallet gets drained everybody loses their funds and yeah it sucks and so i guess my question to you is why are these people not taking the time to do an audit or you know how easy is it to avoid these problems like is it audit hard? Is it audit costly? Is that why these people aren't taking... Is it just time constraints?
2: You know, you work on that side, so you probably understand it better than us. Sure, yeah. I think there's a, a variety of reasons. Some of it is definitely cost. It's a non-trivial cost. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but, you know, it, it's not incredibly cheap. It's not incredibly expensive, but, you know, it's not $5. Ball. You're paying professionals to look at at your code, in which, you know, it could be very novel, right? The Any system that, that you bring to an auditor... They may have never seen, before, even if they've been around for a while, like we have, we've seen, you know, a lot of them. So we know what the common issues are. So you bring out the DeFi project, you know, we know definitely the main things we need to look for. And then we'll look at what you did differently to see how we can. change that. A lot of it isn't cost though. You know, a lot of the projects, a lot that we see you know, are funded and they can afford it. Sometimes it's just ignorance or arrogance. Occasionally, it's the size of the team. So first, I mean, the ignorance. Some people, like, they don't know about issues. They're new. They came from Web 2. And in Web 2, you don't generally need an audit because you can undo something, right? If your bank settles the wrong money, they can usually get the money back through some long process that is legal, perhaps. Or at least, you know, that's their claim. And so if if a bug goes wrong, you can just patch it. It's fine. Then it won't happen again. In Web 2, people don't know that you you can't do that. So you need these audits to, to help mitigate those issues. And sometimes they're ignorant in the sense of like, they don't know what bugs are, are common to even their niche domain. So like, they'll be like, oh, I want to make an NFT and, you know, look at my NFT code. And it's say, like, okay, well, you're minting incorrectly because of, you know, this kind of well-known bug, you know, like, oh, I've never heard of that before. And and part of that is is just experience. But that leads me to the next point. Sometimes it's just like a single person team and, you know, you won't have someone reviewing PRs on, on the other end. So, you know, when the developer does something, they think they're doing the right thing and, you know, everyone, when they're doing the coding themselves, generally always think they're doing the right thing. That's called <laughs> a bug, right? It's not an intentional miss, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, right. it's just everyone's confident. And then it, it turns out, you know, there was a typo or the variable was wrong or you changed something somewhere and you forgot about it and, and changed the related aspect. So, you know, the cost, arrogance, and, you know, size of team is, is part of it. Occasionally, we'll get people who they need it for the investors or whatever, but they don't see the value in it. And so they'll be like, oh, I, "I'm doing this cuz someone said I had, to, but I don't care about like what you're doing." It's really painful to work with some of, some of those projects because I'm like, "Well, look, fix this before you go live where you know, maybe something could go wrong." And and when they're not a cooperative client, it's very difficult. I think that probably just stems to the the arrogance and and ignorant side of things where either they think they don't need it because they're too good or they think there there are no bugs that can happen, but the reality is, you know, that that bugs can't happen to other bugs. There's also a lot of
1: people in this space, I think, that are are rushing things because they want to take advantage of a narrative. So they need it out really fast. And if you get an audit, obviously that slows things down. You got to like get an agreement. You got to pay for it. You got to wait for the team to do it and then make the fixes and blah, blah, blah. And it's like the one thing with these systems, it's a good thing of it, but it's also a bad thing is they're permissionless, right? Blockchain's Ooh. are permissionless. You can create any token you want in a second, which means when a hype cycle, some sort of narrative comes around, Like base, you can launch a token called base or you can launch a whatever and just like run with it. And then that's why you see when something new launches, all these opportunists take advantage of it. And so a lot of them just, they don't, they're not going to get audited because they're there to just take advantage of a quick opportunity, which is why all the time on our podcast we're telling people don't jump on these like hype cycle type apps and things that are going because they're not audited, which means they can and likely will rug you or they'll get hacked, which happens just
2: so, so, so much. Unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. I'll, yeah, a lot of people are in to make a quick buck and, and you know, an audit slows that down. Or <laughs> uh, it'd be worse, right? If someone said, hey, I want to do this and, and we see that there's a back. You know, make- they're not going to fix that issue. I don't know if there's other reasons, but, you know, I, I would definitely encourage everyone to take the time to audit, to do it right, because there is so much on the line and crypto Twitter doesn't forget why I'm being so cautious when I say anything. They don't forget,
0: right? Well, and and I think it depends on what you're building for too. So as Kai said, yes, there are are a lot of people that are trying to take advantage of an opportunity. They're building for now. They're seeing short term, right? But I also think there's a lot of people, and I hope that we bring more and more of these teams into the space that are thinking long term. If your view is long term, then... You should not be afraid to take the extra time to make sure that you're ironclad and you're ready to go and you're all buttoned up tight because otherwise, yeah, the risk is really high. Okay, I want to jump to speed round uh, and ask you some fun questions, but before we do, Jan, I just want to give you a chance to tell us a little bit more about Quantstamp and what you guys do and anything you want to ask of our listeners or how they can get involved in Quantstamp and maybe even how they can
2: reach you or Follow you online. Sure. Yeah. So thanks for having me. But yeah, my name is Jihan. I work at QuantStamp and we're a security company in Web3. So we, you know, help secure hundreds of millions of of digital assets everywhere. And we work on all types of blockchains and all all types of smart contracts and all types of systems. And if you want to get in touch with me or or anything I'm working on, specifically layer two stuff, but anything in security or whatever, my Twitter or Telegram, I don't know if you're going to share those. We'll put them in the show notes, but right. you can go ahead and say them. Okay. Yeah. Jay Gorzny, So J G O R Z N Y. Put the at symbol in front, of course. And uh, yeah, come find us awesome for all your auditing needs. We're happy to help. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. A
0: couple fun questions. First one What's an NFT you'll never sell?
2: Oh, Zed Ren. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. Those horses are gorgeous. Is it because you love the art? I mean, it's not just the art, I like the idea of the racing. It's a really neat project, and uh, they're still around. They're still doing a lot of stuff. I haven't, I haven't checked it in a while. Was, I mean, hey, anybody who's still around at this point and is an NFT project deserves yeah deserves a lot of credit. <laughs> I mean, they were one of the first ones. They were they've been around for a while, a long while. But yeah, and then the mating them w- was a great system. Like it, it, they had a lot. They thought about a lot of really things. It wasn't just art. Like I, I get art. No, I, I don't get art. But, like, I get why people like art. <laughs> Kyle also doesn't get art. I <laughs> love that you clarified that. <laughs> there are there a lot of, you know, art that, that, I don't know if anyone agreed with was art, but at least everyone, you know, they, they did a lot of really cool stuff. And so I really like that they did something. that was Me. Totally, totally. That's, that, that, every time we talk about the
0: gods, Kyle's like, I don't get it. What is it? And I'm like, oh, it's, it's art. And he's like, what? Like. So there's, no, there's nothing else to this? There's no value? You know, where's the utility?
2: Anyways, not going to go down that path. Next question. Favorite person to follow on Twitter? Actually, it's, it's a Bartek from, from L2Beat. I think he's one of the founders. I'm not sure. He tells it like it is. Uh, he's not afraid to, to sort of get into arguments with, with founders of, of the, you know, the projects he lists on, on L2Beat and say, no, actually, you didn't do this or at least your contract didn't do this or whatever. And I think that's really good because we need... I think a third-party watchdog saying, look, actually this, you're claiming to do this, but it's not happening. And we need a trusted source. And from what I can tell, L2B is playing that role quite well. So obviously, you know, they've got an audit, also trust the audit. But like, it's nice that there's some other entity out there looking, looking out for the average user. And he's not shy about it. So I,
0: I do like I love people that are not shy on Twitter. We need more opinions. Don't be afraid to share your opinions on Twitter, everybody. It's Okay. Just be yourself. Everybody loves you as you are. Okay, last Please, question. Be nice though. Don't forget to say that because Twitter is angry and... It's true. I'm just a nice guy so I don't see yeah. it that way but you're right, yeah. Don't, don't yell if you don't have something nice to say. Let's put it that way. Jan, our favorite question. If you had a billboard that one billion people were going to see, what would you write on it?
2: Yeah, this... I I mean, I think I told you before the show I dreaded this question. I, I don't know. The obvious adage of don't trust verify" is probably pretty up there maybe it goes against some of the crypto economic stuff i was talking about that's also why i didn't have good answers for you there is just trust the math and then and do the rest yeah otherwise maybe be nice we just ended on be nice Yeah, say- that's not bad right <laughs> <laughs> everyone is a little bit nicer maybe we wouldn't need to verify because everyone would just be doing the right <laughs> maybe you don't need blockchains if
1: everyone is just optimistic
2: novel optimistic. I up. I'm, I'm imagining like don't trust
0: verify as like the big and then in like you know a little asterisk at the at the bottom pf be nice like oh jan thank you so much for the time this has been a fantastic conversation and really appreciate all your work in the space and your insights on l2 scaling great thank you for having me jay Awesome, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to
1: Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note. This podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.